Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to This Week Again. I'm your host, Suzanne Posel. We're going to start off this show with the latest in celebrity fuck-ups, from Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis to Drew Barrymore, and even Oprah is back. And then we're going to follow all of that up with the auto workers versus the big three. Let's begin, shall we? Trigger warning for anyone who has been a victim of sexual assault or rape. Listener discretion is advised. Now, normally, I wouldn't give credence to something someone said in the late 1800s, but when that someone is Lord John Emmerich Edward Dalberg Acton, otherwise known as the 13th Marquis of Gropoli, well, I'm going to stop and listen to that guy. Now, Gropoli, who went by the moniker Lord Acton, famously once said, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We've all heard that phrase or a variant thereof, but right now, I'm going to show you three real-world examples of what old Acton was trying to warn us about. And in honor of the innuendo, that is Lord Acton's title as Marquis of Gropoli, let's start this off with the story of the three amigos, Danny, Ashton, and Mila. First up, some exposition. Breaking news, that 70 Show's actor Danny Masterson has been sentenced to 30 years to life in prison for the rapes of two women. Nisha Trout says Masterson invited her to his house in 2003, where she testified he plied her with wine before forcing himself on her. Another Masterson accuser, Chrissy Bixler, told actress Leah Rimini she was dating the actor when he attacked her. He just kind of chuckled. He started laughing and he said, oh, I had sex with you last night. And I said, was I unconscious? And he said, yeah. The two women he's convicted of raping gave emotional statements about how the assaults have impacted their lives, despite it being more than 20 years since these crimes occurred. Well, yeah, because you never actually get over someone violating your body the way a rapist does. And in a case like this, it's important for the court to hear from the victims, consider the impact Rapey Masterson had on them then and how it affects them now. The defense has something like this on their end, and that is called a character letter. This is where friends and family get a chance to tell the court the accused really isn't such a bad person, even though they did a bad thing. So you can imagine writing a character letter for a rapist isn't something anyone would want everyone to know that they did, especially when those people need public approval to earn a living, like actors. Specifically, Billy Baldwin, Giovanni Ribisi, Deborah Jo Rupp, and Kirkwood Smith. By the way, that means Kitty and Red Foreman support victims of rape unless they know the rapist, and then, well, he's a nice guy, except for all that raping. And as it turns out, Jackie Burkhart and Kelso also support victims of rape, historically, I might add, and they will in a second, except when it comes to Stephen Hyde. That's where Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis draw the line, and by the stroke of their keyboard, 
They told the judge, Forced Sex Masterson is a decent person who is filled with equity and generosity when he isn't having sex with unconscious women. And according to Ashton, Predator Masterson is his brother from another mother and an outstanding role model for others. Which has to be the most inappropriate description of a rapist that I've ever heard. But makes sense when you realize Ashton and Mila's words were meant to be read only by the judge in an attempt to invoke sympathy from the court when considering how long debauchery Masterson should rot in jail. Then the character letters were made public because court cases have a way of doing this and everyone knows that Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis are against rape-styled violence against women unless it's a friend that they've known for 20-something years. Cue the obligatory public apology recorded like a hostage video and uploaded to Insta. We are aware of the pain that has been caused by the character letters that we wrote on behalf of Danny Masterson. We support victims. We have done this historically through our work and will continue to do so in the future. A couple months ago, Danny's family reached out to us and they asked us to write character letters to represent the person that we knew for 25 years so that the judge could take that into full consideration relative to the sentencing. The letters were not written to question the legitimacy of the judicial system or the validity of the jury's ruling. They were intended for the judge to read um, and not to undermine the testimony of the victims or re-traumatize them in any way. We would never want to do that. And we're sorry if that has taken place. Our heart goes out to every single person who's ever been a victim of sexual assault, sexual abuse, or rape. Yeah, yeah, that's all well and good, but you guys told the judge that your newly convicted rapist buddy is a good man who may have done a few bad things, but definitely is not of any harm to anyone else now that he's done with all the raping. And you did this sitting in front of a phone camera dressed like you both spent the weekend at Burning Man and woke up in someone else's clothes, semi-apologizing for offending victims you claim to support in public, while in private, you seem to be on the side of the rapist. And whoever on your publicity team told you that it would be well-received by your audience to say if you offended anyone, when you defended the character of a rapist, hoping to get him a lighter jail sentence, the only punishment he's going to face for raping two women? The character letters are not an if. You wrote them. They're offensive. And being a celebrity isn't going to erase the fact that as people go, Mila and Ashton are douchebags, regardless of how much the public may enjoy their basic bitch acting chops. And while we're discussing the apathetic lifestyles of the rich and famous, Oprah showed everyone how thin-skinned she really is when she made an appearance on CBS This Morning, co-hosted by one of her besties, Gail King, to discuss how the poor's criticism of Oprah's People's Fund of Maui has affected her. Roll tape. Well, this is a really great point about being happier in the midst of an onslaught of being terrorized and vilified online. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, what if I didn't have the assurance of Invictus, that I am the master of my own fate and the captain of my soul? It will take you out. Yeah. So all of the online... Slander and... Slam, attacks. Ooh, attacks, lies, conspiracy theories. 
really took the focus off of what was the most important thing, and that was the people of Maui. I was so excited. I got up the next morning and I saw all of this vitriol, and I was like, whoa, what happened here? Made me sad yeah, that we're at this state in our country, that, right? you know? Right, right. right. Yeah. No, everything, everything leads to this kind of polarization, even, yep. even serving other people. So tell me you're an out-of-touch-with-reality billionaire without telling me you're an out-of-touch-with-reality billionaire. <laughs> because that group therapy session Gail King and CBS provided for Oprah is giving off rich bitch. 2.5 times a billionaire Oprah says she is sad because the poors responded with vitriol when she asked them to contribute to a fund that she and The Rock set up when she alone has enough money to rebuild Lahaina. And pointing out the fact that the company Oprah chose to create her fund called Entertainment Industry Foundation pays their executive staff millions of dollars is a conspiracy theory, even though it's in their most recent tax filings, and that is public record. But what really makes Oprah oh so very sad is how a multi-billionaire celebrity can't command her audience anymore, blaming polarization when it's really just common fucking decency to do the right thing when you have more than enough to do it with. See, at the end of the day, it cost upwards of $5 million to set up a fund like the one Oprah and The Rock have, and they collectively contributed $10 million to start. My question is, how much of that $10 million went to pay for the Entertainment Industry Foundation's contribution, and how much did Oprah think she was going to get out of her fans when prices are up by 30 or more percent in all industry and wages have not been livable since the 1970s? Oh, and speaking of living wages... The Writers Guild of America and SAG-AFTRA have been on strike for over 130 days, arguing over how much money the backbone of the entertainment industry is worth, and wouldn't you know it, Drew Barrymore weighed in on this contentious debate by pulling this stunt. It's now been four months since the Writers Guild of America uh, decided to strike. And this week, the striking writers uh, decided to unleash their fury outside CBS studios against an actress, Drew Barrymore. Drew took to her Instagram to announce why she would be resuming production on the fourth season of her famous talk show, without writers, it seems, penning in a lengthy post. And to be clear, our talk show actually wrapped on April 20th, so we never had to shut down the show. However, I'm also making the choice to come back for the first time in the strike for our show. That may have my name on it, but this is bigger than just me. I want to be there to provide what writers do so well, which is a way to bring us together or help us make sense of the human experience. I hope for a resolve for everyone as soon as possible. We have navigated difficult times since we first came on air. And so I take a step forward to start season four once again with an astute humility. Oh, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Anyway, uh, Scab Barrymore has been acting since she was four years old, but has miraculously become a news broadcaster in just the last four years, hosting The Drew Barrymore Show, which is one of the reasons why she made the decision to resume taping. And why would a news show be described on their own website as, quote, Optimism TV, bringing information, inspiration, and entertainment 
is beyond me, but here we are. Drew Trader Moore has been a member of SAG-AFTRA since she was five years old, but because news broadcasters' contracts aren't up for another year and they're not currently under a strike, why that's all she needed to know that the show must go on. And never mind the two audience members who recently were booted from Turncoat Barrymore's show for wearing SAG strike pins on their shirts, even though they did offer to remove them. And the kicker is right now, WGA writers from her own show are picketing her show. Because when an actor goes all mouse looking for more cheese, you gotta march against that. Now, thankfully, Defector Barrymore is starting to get treated like the scab she is. Upon hearing about Scrooge McBarrymore's return to daytime television, the National Book Foundation rescinded their offer for the money grabber to host their 73rd annual ceremony being held in November. And for good reason. According to the National Book Foundation, their award ceremony is, quote, an evening dedicated to celebrating the power of literature and the incomparable contributions of writers to our culture. We are grateful to Miss Barrymore and her team for their understanding in this situation. <laughs> In other words, it's not a good look when an actor who has made their nearly 40 decades long acting career reciting words someone wrote for them crosses the writer's strike picket line. So we're going to have to find ourselves a new host. And by the way, Drew, it's you, not them. And now for something completely different. According to the United States Census Bureau data from 2022, nearly 40 million more Americans are now living in poverty. That number is up 11.5% from just last year. Additionally, the working poor annual income dropped 2.3% while the cost of living has risen from between 20 to 40%, depending on whether you're talking about groceries or the gas pump or your rent or mortgage. And no, you're not crazy. Your wages literally are not enough to cover basic living expenses, and it has nothing to do with avocado toast. So is it any wonder that everyone from Hollywood writers and actors to auto manufacturing workers are going on strike? Oh yeah, sorry you had to find out this way. 12,000 members of the United Auto Workers Union walked off the job at midnight. It's the first time the so-called big three automakers, Ford, GM, and Solantis, have been hit with a strike at the same time. It's the first time we have seen this simultaneous strike against the big three automakers in the United States. Now, the stalled negotiations did resume for a time last night after President Biden spoke both with union leaders and company executives. But Ford, in a statement, said the union's asks were still far too great and time ran out. We mean business, you know. It's time to make a higher wage. That's right, my friends. The United Auto Workers Union has officially enacted a strike against Ford, GM, and Stellantis, the big three auto manufacturers here in the United States. And can you blame them when the average auto worker makes between $17 and $27 an hour? That comes out to just about 
$51,000 a year, which is barely enough to cover the rent or mortgage, utilities and groceries. And hey, I'm just talking about two people, let alone a family of anything. The union is asking for a 37% increase in pay, among other things. But this request for a living wage has the CEOs of Ford and GM all verklempt. First up is Jim Farley, the not funny and absolutely no relation to the late great Chris Farley, who is CEO of Ford and isn't afraid to whine like a toddler when mommy puts the cookies back on the shelf, overpaying his workers a living wage. Roll tape. It's frustrating because many of our team members have negotiated successfully on non-economic issues with the national negotiators. But somehow when we get to these marquee money issues, everything stops and it's a mystery. If we signed up for the UAW's request, we would have lost $15 billion and gone bankrupt by now. The average pay would be nearly $300,000 fully fringed. There's no way we can be sustainable as a company. That's why we put our proposal in two weeks ago to say, look, you want, you want us to choose bankruptcy over supporting our workers? Damn, Jimmy Ford lame is nothing but falsetto when it comes to the topic of fair wages. So let me break it down because understanding why this 61-year-old man naturally tantrums over the audacity of the auto workers, the idea that they could possibly make $300,000 a year for their contribution to his company is everything. See, last year, one percenter Jim's salary as CEO of Ford was $1.7 million. That is a fuck ton of money, which is where the F-150 got its name. But that's not all Jim Bob got for producing nothing, not a single tangible thing for Ford in 2022. When you combine his salary, his base, with his stock award options, this whiny rich boy made out with $20,996,000. And he's complaining about Ford going bankrupt if people who actually make Ford's production earn $300,000 a year. And, and folks, if you think that CEO Mary Barra over at GM is any less tantrumy over the union's demands for fair wages, you would be wrong. Roll tape. We have a very compelling uh, offer on the table, gross wage increases of 20% that compound to 21%. We've put a historic offer on the table. That's why I'm so disappointed and frustrated. If you look at uh, compensation, my compensation, 92% of it is based on performance of the company. I think when you look at the overall, the overall structure and, and the fact that 92% is based on performance, we have to have a realistic offer. We want to make sure we reward um, the hardworking uh, men and women of General Motors and the work they do every day. And we think that's what we have on the table. Yeah, I don't know where the fuck you got that idea. Sounds to me like multimillionaire Mary at GM is confused over why the serfs at her company aren't grateful for a 20% increase in pay when she herself has seen a 34% increase in her salary over the last couple of years. Apparently, Mary, queen of $29 million a year, can't wrap her tiny little brain around the fact that she makes 362 times what the average worker at her company brings home. And that is the fucking problem. And another thing, 
In 2008, the U.S. taxpayers bailed out GM to the tune of $12 billion, with a B, billion dollars. And that same year, GM posted profits of $28 billion, and 15 years later, they can't afford to pay their workers a living wage without going bankrupt? Or could it be that paying Ford and GM workers a fair wage, increasing of 40% to what they're already earning, actually means the money's got to come from somewhere and is sure as fucking coming from these wealthy fucks paychecks. You know, it's probably that fuck the poor's attitude multimillionaires and billionaires have, like the seven-head CEO of something called Gurner Group, Mr. Tim Gurner, who recently said to a room full of rich assholes at the 2023 Financial Property Summit... I think the problem that we've had is that people decided they didn't really want to work so much anymore through COVID and that has had a massive issue on productivity. You know, they, they have been paid a, paid a lot to do not too much in the last few years and we need to see that change. We need to see unemployment rise. Unemployment has to jump 40-50%. We need to see pain in the economy. We need to remind people that they work for the employer, not the other way around. There's been a systematic change where employees feel the employer is extremely lucky to have them. It's a dynamic that has to change. We've got to kill that attitude and that has to come through hurting the economy, which is what the whole the world is trying to do. The governments around the world are trying to increase unemployment to get that to some sort of normality. And we're seeing it. I think every employer now is seeing it. I mean, there is definitely massive layoffs going off. People might not be talking about it, but people are definitely laying people off and we're starting to see less arrogance in the employment market and that has to continue. Hey there, Mr. Burns. You said a lot of bullshit sitting on stage talking to those wealthy fuckers, but uh, I think it's time we talked about some facts. First off, during COVID, productivity was up by 11% in 2020, and that's when people were working from the comfort of their own homes. Secondly, wages have increased by just 2.2% since 2020. So I don't have a clue what the fuck this out-of-touch receding hairline is even talking about with workers being paid a lot for very little. Seems to me this asshole is worried about expanding his net worth of $790 million, just like Ford and GM CEOs. They don't want to pay their workers more if it means they might get paid less. Funny thing is, it always has been and it always will be the workers who make any company profitable. Without the auto workers, Jim and Mary would be looking for a job right now. Now, Timmy makes his money off the suffrage of the real estate industry with their overinflated house prices. Look, Timmy, no one wants to spend $800,000 on your late 1987 original two-story mess with an interior decorated like the set of the 80s sitcom ALF. But it isn't just a Timmy problem or even a Ford or GM problem. Although Ford just announced 600 workers will be laid off since they're striking. It's really a perception problem. When money is the metric by which people's worth is judged, and the people judging already have a shit ton of money, then what we have here is a failure to communicate and a breakdown of our capitalist system. Because when only a small number of people can afford to buy corporate goods and services because the working class is being paid poverty wages, well, guess what? 
This whole thing is going to come crashing down. So I say strike. The more industry workers who need to follow suit, the better. If these rich jackasses can write scripts without writers, perform in film and television without actors, and build cars without auto workers, then I say let them have it. Let's see how far this can go. And that's all I have to say about that. New episodes of This Week Again air every Sunday. You can follow the show on social media wherever you can find us. This Week Again is available for your listening pleasure on Spotify, iHeart, Audible, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to this show, and to do for now.